Sunday mornings, I love Sunday mornings um, because I get to come to church with you guys. And uh, is there something up there? Oh, <laughs> okay. Sunday mornings are cool because I get to come hang out with you guys. But also, um, it's usually my my time of the week where it's just me. Um, Tracy keeps the kids while well, they sleep. And I wake up really early, which I wake up early most mornings anyway, just because I like waking up early. Um, I don't know why, but I do. Um, but on Sunday morning specifically, it's just, it's just a time where there's no distractions. It's just a time where I can come and pray and I can study and just spend some time in here. And sometimes I'll walk around in the sanctuary and pray. Sometimes I'll, uh, I call it pracing, praying and pacing. I'll go walk around my office or lay down on the couch or study and all those things kind of wrapped up into one. And so I really, I really look forward to Sunday mornings. Many of you work, probably most of you work. Um, and uh, during the week, uh, I'm, sometimes I'm bombarded with lots of different things going on and Everything's falling apart sometimes, and I've got to try to fix everything with work. But Sundays are just neat to come and just kind of take a deep breath and decompress. And I'll either listen to worship music or sermons on the way here, and I'll get in my office and I'll study. And anyway, this morning I had uh, Tracy's across the bay with Trinity at a tournament and a volleyball tournament, and I had the two little girls who wanted to come with me, so they came with me, and they're awesome, <laughs> but they like to talk and fight and argue and sing and fight and. Uh, so we had, we had an interesting time. They really weren't that bad. They actually helped. They helped with coffee. and they're, they're awesome kids, but they're kids. I mean, just like everybody else's kids. And, and, uh, and then as soon as I got on the road to come here, my, my sister called me. We'll, we may edit some of this later. We'll just see how it looks. But uh, my sister called me, and I knew, I knew already what I wanted to preach about. I was going to preach about fathers, and, and I want to talk about God as father and fathers in here. And it's just been really on my heart lately about fathers. And even throughout this week, I've had lots of examples and time to really reflect on me being a father and other, other fathers that I know in our church and other, other situations. And on my way here, I, I get in and I just start to listen to something and my sister calls me. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, I don't want to talk right now. I just want to just chill out. I don't want to... And, and, and uh, nothing is... I love my sister too, but sometimes it's just there's a lot going on and, and it weighs heavy on my heart if something's going... And it's usually something when she calls that something's wrong or something's going on. Well, sure enough, I answer the phone and, you know, she's... You can tell she's about to start crying, and, and I'm like, oh, what's going on now? And she just said that, that um, and, and to, to preface this, I share, I share these stories with you guys not to, to me, I just think it's the Lord speaking, and all this is to, when I was talking about glory this morning, this is to bring the Lord glory, so this is just a story to bring the Lord glory. But he, she called, and she said, Gavin, my nephew, who, uh, he comes and stays with us sometimes, and I've tried to kind of mentor him the best I can. He's got a pretty bad father figure, and his not even in his life, out of his life. Um, he doesn't talk to him. They don't get along. He was really mean, long story. But he doesn't have a father figure. Gavin's 21. He's still trying to learn life and, and how all that works. And I've tried to help him where I can, but, you know, they live, you know, 400 miles, 500 miles away. And so I've tried to be- do the best I can to mentor him. He's into cars and stuff, which helps. And so we can talk about cars and different things like that. Well, my sister called me this morning crying. She said, uh, she said hey, she said, you know, I just, uh, are you, can you talk? I said, sure. <laughs> She said, I, she said, Gavin called me last night. It was late. He was working late. And he pulled over on the side of the road. He was just bawling, crying. And he said, uh, this is going to be tough. <clears throat> he said, uh, well, y'all, y'all know Gavin. He was here a few times. I prayed for him up here. Um, and so he said, uh, he said, I, I, don't know, I don't know what's going on, but I just, I really wish I had a dad around. And he said, uh, he said, when I visit Uncle Justin, I see how he loves his girls and, and how they are as a family. And uh, he said, I just want that. 
and trust me, I'm not the perfect example by any means, but considering our background and the father figures that I had and the father figure that he had, um, some of the very worst of us are the best that he could ever see. Um, so like I said, not to build myself up, but he just sees that I care for my kids. That's it. And I'm, in, I'm involved in their life the best I can be, the best I know how. And he just wanted that. He just had a, had a moment and broke down and called her. <clears throat> and uh, he also told her he wanted to move over here. And I was like, oh, slow down. <laughs> but, uh, but he just said, you know, he just said I, that was the main thing is he just he wishes he had a father in his life. And I can definitely relate to that. I don't know if many of you can. Some of you may have had great examples as fathers, and that's awesome, but I didn't. And so I can really relate to, to that struggle and, and trying, to, trying to figure out life at 21, right? And uh, not having a real good example of anyone to teach him. That's what he said. He said, I just want somebody to teach me how to be a man. <laughs> Nobody's ever taught me how to be a man. <clears throat> and so my sister's asking me, we talked all the way here. She's asking me, you know, who taught you and how did you learn to, to love your kids and to, to be involved and do these things? And I said, it's all God. It was all God. Amen. Um, I'd love to take credit for it, but I, I had no clue. Tracy, we talked about it yesterday. We were on our way to, across the bay, and we were talking about Trinity, how old she's gotten and how mature she is and everything. And uh, <laughs> we were making jokes about it, and she said, you used to hold her like this. I said, I think Trinity peed on me one time when she was a baby. She was like, no, that was Kylie because you, you wouldn't hold Trinity that close. You held her out here because you were scared you are going to break her. And I did. I would hold her out there. I, like, I don't know what to do with her. <laughs> I don't. She's so little and fragile. I don't want to break her. Um, but it was, it was learning. I had to learn. And, and, man, the Lord was so gracious in that because, because through me studying and understanding his character throughout the Bible, I began to find those characters in me that I didn't know I had, Right? Now, this, this goes beyond fathering, but for me, it was, it was super huge for me to discover who I was to him by who I am to my kids. kind of worked in reverse. I began to discover how much I loved each one of those kids and how I treated them in, differently than I would treat anybody else. I love y'all's kids, but I love my kids more, right? And there's a, there's a, there's a loving that goes along with being a father that is different than any, anything else. And... Uh, Anyway, so it was, it was interesting that I was going to talk about fathers, and my sister called me and gave me a, a decent example of, and, and kind of brought me back to what I remember struggling with as, as a youth and trying to understand. I mean, I can remember my stepdad trying to teach me manly things, but it, he, was, he wasn't the best example either. But he did, you know, a few things, hold your shoulders back, because I would just hunch over, and I always felt like I was less than. Um, and he came from Texas, so he was kind of a proud Texan guy, and I resented him. I was a rebellious teen, but at the same time, you know, he kind of, he tried to give me some worth, the best he knew how as well. And, uh, and so I try, I, I try as much as I can in what the Lord's shown me and, and the character that God's given me that I shouldn't have because of my background. And that's what my sister said. She, you know, she was breaking up and crying. She said, I, she's, she said I'm really proud of you. She said, because she knows what we come from. And she said, uh, she said, I don't know how you did it. <laughs> I said, I do. It's God. I said, I know exactly how I did it. That's the only way it would work. And y'all, most of y'all know my history. I, I just knew that I was going to jail or I'd be dead before I was 20, 21. So I didn't have any plans for the future. I didn't think of any worth that I had in myself. And so what God does and what God did in me, he does in all of us. So my story is not unique. It's unique to me, but it's not unique because he does that to everybody. And he, he does it for Gavin, too. All right, <clears throat> see if we can get through this. All right, think of something funny. Uh, 
All right. Um, so to, uh, Tristan actually brought up a good point a couple Wednesdays ago in, in youth and asked a question about uh, discipline or, or chastising, being chastened. And uh, it really stuck with me throughout the, the last couple weeks, and we talked about it last week too, and it was, I think we had a really good conversation in youth. I filled in. Brian was, was working a lot, and, and he couldn't get back from across the bay. And I was able to, to minister to the youth, and it was really good. I hope they enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, but it began to go along with what I'd been feeling in the spirit about fatherhood and about discipline. Now, uh, the first thing we, we think of with discipline, what do you all think of when you think of discipline? A spanking, right? It's <laughs> the same thing that you said, spanking. Uh, I always go to spanking, and then right after that I think of something biblical, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? And that's what I always heard. And uh, there, it's funny how we take these little, <laughs> take these little bits of scripture and try to try to make something out of them that they're not. Um, I used to think, you know, blasphemy was just saying GD, and that's blasphemy. Now I realize it's much deeper than that. Um, the same way, the rod is much deeper than just beating your children into submission. That's not what that scripture is talking about. <laughs> but that's the way we that's the way we think of it, right? You're doing wrong, you're going to get beat with a rod, right? I think it goes much deeper than that. And I think before we can even get to the discipline side as far as correction or um, discipleship or training or anything, we need to understand the character of the Father first. Because we can't look at, it's what I talked to the youth about, you can't look at little scriptures out of context without looking at the big picture of who Jesus is and who God is as Father. Because if we don't know who God is as Father, then we don't understand what discipline is. We don't get it. In the same way... I discipline my kids differently. Each one I discipline differently because of who they are and because I know them and love them. I, I, I allow other people to correct my kids. I don't really like other people to spank my kids because I think that that, that comes with an understanding of love and, and, and where, you know, how that works. That, I think, is the parent's job. Um, <clears throat> I'm not trying to tell you all how to parent. That's just how I parent. Um, but I think that and I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let, let's, let's focus on God's character first. There is a parable that... Most of us have read over and over again. It's, the parab- or it's called the parable of the lost son. It should be called the parable of the loving father. <clears throat> it's called the parable of the lost son. But most of us read it out just by itself without reading the first two before it. This is actually three parables, three parables that are all the same. Just, they tell the same story, right? So we're going to start in Luke, Luke 15, 1. And we're going to read all the way through Luke. And I'm going to try to make it, make it quick. Y'all know the story, but I want to read it just to, to gain some perspective. Luke 15, 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and, t- and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So now everybody's listening. We've got tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees and teachers of the law are all gathering around. Funny, the tax collectors and sinners are listening and the Pharisees and teachers are criticizing, but they're all there listening regardless. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's the first parable. The second one, verse 8. It says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels 
in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. All right, now we're to the third parable. Verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got, got together all he had, set off for a, for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild, li- in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, so he's prepping a speech here, but say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth, and I've sinned against heaven and against you, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, that's a key point here. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make, make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And listen, the father interrupts him right there. And he says, Quick, bring me the robe and put it on him. Put a ring. Yeah, he's not even paying attention to any of that. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what it was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because <clears throat> he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never, never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of, of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and, and be glad because <clears throat> this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. All right. All, I know that was a lot to take in. All three of these parables are, are telling the same story. It's all about a loving father. Now, in the very beginning of these three parables... Who is Jesus being criticized by? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, right? By sitting down and eating with sinners and tax collectors. There's several different layers of truth and, and revelation here. One of the big ones is he's giving a picture of the old covenant with just the Jews and the new covenant, which is everybody included. And they were pretty upset that new people were getting in and they had been in for a long time and these new people didn't deserve it. So all of this is a picture of that as well. But it's also a personal picture of how God treats us. So there are lots of different layers of this truth here. I think the, the one I want to focus on is the father figure here because he's, he's talking about a father who loves his children. Now, the reason there's so much diversity, and while I, I cherish the diversity in our church, and I hope the, the church as a whole is more diverse with backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, races, different things, because it's so important that we see that it's not just about us or our thing, but it's the kingdom and it's bigger than that. Listen, it's, there are people, <laughs> there's nobody that deserves it, okay? None of us deserve it. But God is so gracious to give it to us. This is the heart of the Father. Listen, the, the heart of the Father was so gracious that when, when he needed to fix the sin issue, 
What, who, who did the Father send to fix the sin issue? The Son, right? Who was the Son? It was an extension of Himself. The Father was so gracious in, in, in reaching out to us that He gave of Himself. That's the Father's love. The Father puts Himself in our position. Listen, me as a father to my girls, I would do anything to protect them and, and make, you know, anything that I can do to, to teach them in a way that they are going to be successful in life, not just life on earth, but life forever, eternal life. I want to invest in them because I want, I want the very best for them. Now, in me learning that for my girls and what I want for my girls, I've learned that's what the Father wants for me and for you. The Father wants the very best for you. He has in store the very best for you, always. That's what He wants. Now, in life, you don't always see the very best in the circumstances and situations that we're in. Nobody's pretending that that's the case, and God isn't either, and that's why we're going to go on to talk a little bit about it. All right. We know God's character. You can see in there He was going after the lost coin. He was going after the lost sheep. He was going after the lost son. God's heart is to go after people, is to seek and save those which are lost. Um. We, we, I know a lot of times we talk about we're, we're seeking God and we want to seek God, but God is seeking us, and it's the revelation of Him wanting us that, that creates in us a new, a new life. It's an amazing thing. We, we, listen, I was running away from God when He found me. I was not looking for Him <laughs> at all. But let's fast forward a little bit. Now, we know the character of God is, is to, to love us. Now, when we get into discipline... We have to know the why. Why would God discipline us? Why do you think God disciplines us? Because He loves us, right? Now, we have to be careful with that because <laughs> you've, you've probably been around people that say, I'm telling you this because I love you. And then they, they, they just beat you over the head with their rod. And they don't really love you. They're just saying that as an excuse to, to criticize you or to be mean. So we have to be careful with that. This isn't... I don't want to get into all the different loves, phileo and agape and everything, but we have to understand what the, the love that God has for us is completely unconditional. It goes before any kind of discipline. We have to establish that first. The reason why I, I want to be the only one that really disciplines my kids, at least to an extent that, that I think is going to help, help them in some way long term, is because I know them very well. I know them better than most people know them. Um, this kid may need... Uh, a little more direction than this kid. This kid may need a stern talking to. This kid may need a look, right? Only I know that because I know my children. This is how God is. He knows you, each one of you. Some of you need a quiet, soft voice, and some of you need someone screaming in your face. That's, I mean, some of us are that way. Some of us need, not necessarily physically, but in the spirit, some of us need a, a kick in the butt sometimes and say, okay, you need to go this way. I've told you, I've whispered it five times. <laughs> So I'm going to put it right in your face, right? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm that way. Uh, there are times when, when, when I, the Lord will whisper and I'll respond. There's times when I go, mm-mm. Then maybe, maybe that's not God. And then it takes some, some, something kind of radical to kind of shake me up and go, okay, no, I do need to do this. And listen, that's what, that's what good fathers do with their children. They, they are kind and they are loving in a way that they direct them. And, and I've said this before, that discipline and correction are preparation of the future. It's not just punishment for the past. It is, it is for something. Um, so we talk about uh, chasten was the word that, that Tristan brought up, which was uh, kind of an older term. We don't use chasten a lot in our terminology, but it's a good, it's a good old, <laughs> it's a good old uh, King James term. Uh, 
but it, it basically to translate the closest thing would be discipline in our terms. There's two two Hebrew words, and I'll probably mispronounce them: mucar, m-u-c-a-r, and padia, p-a-i-d-e-a, d-e-i-a. Basically, in the Hebrew is, is mucar, and Greek is is padia, whatever it is. Um, but in the Old Testament, it was used more. The first one, I'm not going to keep saying it over and over again, but it, the the best translation in our in our terms would be instruction, and the new one would be training in the New Testament. So it basically means instruction training. Now, those are very, those sound very simple, but those are very complex words because how do you train someone? How do you, how do you give instruction? Well, that's different to everybody, isn't it? Just like I was saying, when you, when you train someone, when you discipline someone, that looks different to different people. I can't give you a blanket statement on how that looks for everybody because that's not how God works, and that's not how we work. So it says uh, the, the definition of that, the, the Greek anyway, it says to train up a child so that they mature and realize their full potential. To train up a child so they realize so they mature and realize their full potential. All right, Romans 8 1. It says, uh, and we don't have to go through the whole verse, but it basically says there's no punishment and there's no chastisement because of what Christ has done for us. So since since to them that are in Christ there is no condemnation. Where there is guilt, there's punishment, but where Guilt has been removed. There can be no punishment. So there are no degrees of justification. No one can be forgiven in part. There's, there's either full forgiveness or not full forgiveness. So positionally, we don't change. So what we have to be careful with is that God's trying to take something away from us to punish us. And God's never going to take away the relationship that you have with him to punish you, to try to train you. That's not God's character. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't threaten. This is, this, is, this is the kind of upbringing I kind of had was a threatening of broken relationship to get you to behave. It, was, it wasn't right from wrong. It's what I can get away with without making them mad, making them angry, because I knew what would come when <laughs> I won't like them when they're angry, basically. So for a, for a child, especially growing up in an environment of a loving father, a loving father wants to, the same way God comes down and walks with us and teaches us, it's not just a teacher, it's fathering. There's a big difference between just teaching and fathering. When you father, you are walking with and you are training and you are teaching alongside. You're not just saying, go do this, go do that. Don't do this, don't do that. There's a disconnect there if you just do that. This is why I think it's so, so much different than the law coming with Moses and Jesus coming to meet us in human form. Relational God. That's why we don't just study all the laws, although all the laws are good. We study the Jesus who took care of all of that for us and meets us right where we are and gives us the Holy Spirit as a comforter. Listen, when we talk about Rod... All throughout Scripture, and I don't have time to go through every single one of them, but you can look them up. All the rods talk about, there's a few that talk about discipline, and, and most of the other ones are either protectors from evil coming against. The shepherd would use rods and staffs to protect, and the staff had kind of a hook so they could bring the, bring the sheep closer to them. And so the rod and the staff are kind of interchangeable in some texts, and in some texts it's just the rod. And the other rod was like a scepter, which meant power, and uh, power, authority, and leadership is the rod. And so when you talk about rod, especially going back to how you're training a child with the rod, it is training a child as a, as a father, as a leader with power to not only lead them in a direction but defend them against their enemies. So the, the, the rod is not just to beat them <laughs> over their head because even in Scripture it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's not very comforting if every time you see a rod you, you do this, right? That's not comforting. <laughs> Listen, there's, a, there's two Scriptures and that kind of make a connection here, and I'll jump ahead and hopefully jump back. Um, Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. 
Now, when you look at that, it sounds like the, the rod of discipline will drop far away. But if you look at Isaiah 11.1, 1, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Who do you think that is? Jesus. Listen, the rod of discipline is the Holy Spirit in us now. Listen, he, he, he said, I came to write the law on their hearts because he seeks to know you and for you to know him. And when you begin to mature as a mature Christian, uh, even the scripture uh, Scott just gave me this morning about freedom, listen, when you discover freedom, you discover who you truly are. The moment you discover you're free to do whatever you want, you have, to, you have to define what it is that you want and why you want to do it. It comes back to that why question. And when you realize that the Holy Spirit is within you and God has written his laws on your heart, your want to shifts. And you shift and your behavior begins to be molded by your identity in Christ as a son or as a daughter. Listen, that's the revelation that transforms people from the outside, I mean from the inside out, not constraint from the outside in. It's, It's a huge difference and we have to see that here. There's a difference in beating people over the head with a rod and a father leading with a rod next to them as a comforter. Do you see the difference? If we don't know the character of the Father, then we don't understand discipline. This is why the Bible tells us to make disciples, not make Christians. This is make disciples. Make other disciples. Disciple people. And this is part of discipline, is leading and teaching for the future. The, the, only, the only analogy I could try to make, which is still broken, uh, which most analogies break down anyway, so I'll use whatever I want to because I have the microphone. So, we, <laughs> so it's like a military. My, my other nephew went to boot camp. He had the same father, same struggles, same issues. He went to boot camp and he found a family in his, I'll probably butcher this if you're in the military, you can, you can, get, you can chastise me later. Uh, you can, uh, the, the troop or whoever they're with were like his family and the drill sergeants were like father figures to them. And they learned some structure and they learned some discipline, some different things like that. But it created in them somewhat of a family atmosphere that they were lacking, right? And a lot of people do that. Listen, we are, I heard this uh, the other day, we... We are in the most fatherless, the only fatherless generation even close to where we were was because of war, because the fathers had died. Now, we are in a fatherless generation, but our fathers aren't dead in our generation. They're just absent. We, we have, and I don't say this lightly because I hate saying epidemic, but we are in the middle of a bit of an epidemic. Fathers have checked out in a lot of, of kids' lives, and a lot of the culture, especially where we live, um, the fathers aren't present in their kids' lives. And even the fathers that are still there sometimes are checked out because they're either too busy with work or too busy with, you know, different things that they can, they can mentally check out. And we're all guilty of that a little bit. But it really hurts me, especially when I hear, I'm reminded of my history, and then my, my sister calls me about my nephew this morning, and it breaks my heart that I know that there are lots of other kids out there like that. Listen, when... When you are a, a, a father, and many of you I know are in here, whether it's to your own kids or to several other kids, many, most of you in here are not just your kids, it's several other kids. And, I, and I'm, I honor you guys for that. But I'm telling you, you, you are making a huge difference. <laughs> Listen, I've told you guys many times, we are changing our family tree with our kids. We, we, are, we are shifting the definition of a father and mother for them that we never had. And I hope that that continues to carry on. And that's a huge thing. It's a huge thing. And you guys, I, 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 know, I know most of you and you're already doing that, but I want to encourage you to continue to do that and, and even look at other areas where you can do it as well. And the hard thing for me personally is 
trying to balance the time that, and this is most, I think a lot of guys balance the time that you spend working to support your family financially and then working to, to spend time with the family so that you can be present in their lives. That's always a struggle with men. So wives, be patient because that's always hard. And listen, some of you guys, some of you wives, I say wives, some of you mothers out there, there's single mothers out there that are having to play both parts. And I, I feel for you guys, that's a hard part to play. And some of you guys, I know even you guys, uh, the, the young turners are expecting, you, you're about to be a father, you're about to be a mother. It's going to change your lives. And you guys are going to, you know, regardless, you, I, know, I know for a fact you had a great example, but you guys are going to continue that legacy of, of being loving mothers and fathers to your kids. And that's huge in an, in an environment where that's not, that's not honored and cherished as much as it used to be. So when we look at, at, at God the Father disciplining us, what we have to take out of the, out of the, out of the equation is that he's going to send us some kind of tragedy or sickness to discipline us. A loving father doesn't do that. A father that goes out after his son has squandered all of his money basically told him, I wish you were dead so I could have your inheritance now. Basically no value at all. That kind of father is, that can bring the son back in and love him is the kind of father that we have. And he's not going to try to do something that's going to hurt you so that he can teach you. Now, <laughs> hear me. You may, go something that, you may go through something that is very bad that will hurt you. And he can use that to teach you. You see the difference? We have to, we have to identify those things. That it's not, God's not sending, these, sending anything because he's already poured his wrath out on Jesus. Either Jesus' sacrifice was enough or it wasn't, and I believe it was. So if there is something you're going through, it is not because God has sent it, but he is with you, just like I talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I was like, you guys know who that is? <laughs> and there a few of them did. But look, he walks, through, he walks through it with you. And, huh? Free will. Yeah, he walks through it with you, but here's the thing. And even one of the kids remembered, I think it was William, actually. Good job, Bill. William said, not, yet, not even a hair on his head was singed. Listen, there, 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 this, this parallel spiritual universe going on. I always think like a Marvel universe or something. But there's this parallel spiritual universe going on that if you'll be aware of it when you're operating in this natural universe, <laughs> uh, it can radically change your perspective about every situation that you go into. Here's why. When you know that you have a loving father and you know that whatever you're going through is not coming from him so that he can try to fix you in some way because he's already done that in Christ, then the situations, you can see them for what they truly are. And you can begin to minister to those situations instead of, instead of being affected by them, you begin to affect them. Do you see the difference? You, you, positively, you positively move and change the atmospheres that you're in instead of being absorbed by everything else that you see that's tragedy. Look, social media news, if you want to look for bad news, there's lots of bad news out there. Plenty, plenty, plenty. It, you don't have to look for it. It'll just shove down your throat half the time. But I'm telling you, if you will look for God in everything, and I've made a progression that I'm starting to see it. It is that he's in everything. If you will just look, you will see God in everything. In the moments that you are teaching your kids and disciplining your kids, in the moments where you are seeing other situations that you can help in other people's lives and other families, you can begin to um, change the atmosphere in which they are. The same way Jesus said, look, uh, you say she's sleeping, I'm saying, she, you say she's dead, I'm saying she's just asleep. You can begin to see situations that people are hopeless, completely hopeless in. You can say, no, I see hope here. Right? You can, you can see a situation where people say, look, I have been struggling with this issue for five years. 
you don't know what I'm going through. And you can say, no, I don't, but I know somebody who does. And I want to pray for you. I want, I want your situation to change. And here's what you can walk away from, whether it happens right in that moment or, or, or happens later or never happens at all. They'll know that they're loved in that moment. Don't ever fear loving someone or praying for someone as though you've got to defend God's reputation. He's a big boy. I promise you. If, if you, if you are embarrassed or, or scared to do anything like that, lean into the Holy Spirit. I've, I've officiated two or three weddings already within a few, seems like a few weeks. It happened really fast. And I've had to talk to couples. I always, I always want to meet with them and counsel them the best I can on marriage and what I've learned in our marriage, what not to do and what to do. And every time I talk to them, I'm like, look, neither of you are good enough <laughs> to, to completely support the other one for the rest of your lives. You don't have it in you. I know you want to. I know you think you probably do, but you don't. Every time, everyone I talk to, I tell them that. Listen, God does. If, if you will receive it from him, you can give it to each other. But if you don't, it's not going to work. I tell them right off the bat, this will not work. If you think that you, you've got enough to completely fulfill each other's needs for the rest of your lives, it's not, you're not, this won't work out. But if you will recognize that you, you are lacking in some places that God can give you to, to fulfill the other's needs, then you're in good shape. Every time that I've found where I lack or I've found where, in my perception, Tracy's not here, so where she's lacked in some way of fulfilling my needs, Anytime I go to the Father, He reminds me of who I am and He reminds me of what I'm supposed to do in that situation and that situation gets dramatically better. When I don't, it gets dramatically worse. Every time. <laughs> and I've tried, look, we've been married for 18 years. Coming up next week, I think, April 7th, or coming up in a few weeks. We'll be married 18 years. And in 18 years, we've messed up a lot and we've done some right things done some wrong things and all those things that we've done I've recognized where I've had to lean into the Father and I've had to find His purpose for the situation over my, my own either selfish desires or needs or even hers <clears throat> in the same way with my kids I've got to lean in Him when I don't know what to do going back to what I was originally talking about because I kind of went off there I, I don't have it within me to be a perfect father for my kids as much as I want to be and as much as you want to be I don't have it within me. I've got to lean on him so that I can see that. Listen, with everybody else in your lives, you've got to be the same way. You've got to lean into him to actually give you the strength to do the stuff that you do. All right, let me try to get back to where I was. I kind of went off on a tangent there. <laughs> Hebrews 12.5. It says, and Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. And I looked up that word in the Greek. It really means corrects when he corrects you. Um, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens the one, anyone he accepts as his sons. So you go back up to verse 5. This is a word of encouragement. Does that make sense now? We have to look at the very beginning of this. He's saying this is a word of encouragement. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he corrects you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and He chastens everyone He accepts as sons. Endure hardship. And if we look at this discipline not as just spanking, but as training, as teaching, as being a father, then we can recognize discipline for what it truly is. It's not just spanking and not just correction, although that's included. It is teaching for a purpose so that you can, you can reach the fulfillment in your life and be, come, reach your full potential, as the definition stated. Endure hardship as discipline or training. God is treating you as His children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. 
Moreover, we have, we have all had human fathers who disciplined or trained us, and we respect them for it. Now, many of you, I don't know all of y'all's backgrounds, but I didn't, so I had to learn this kind of backwards. Some of you learned it from your earthly father. If he disciplined you in a way the best way that he knew how, then you can recognize this is what he was talking about. How much more should we submit to the father of, of spirits and live? Um, they, speaking of earthly fathers, disciplined or trained us for a while as they thought best, but share in his... Uh, but God disciplines us for our good. That's another key thing. Listen, he's doing this for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Listen, this kind of goes back to the boot camp thing. Listen, when, when, when those guys are being trained to boot camp, that's not pleasant. I remember my nephew talking about it. He was in the Marines, and he had to like dig a hole and like sleep in it for two or three days for this training that they were doing. But everything that they're doing, they're training them so that they can survive and live, you know, when they're on the battlefield. When Jesus teaches us something, even if it is good and it is all good for us, it may not feel good at the time. There may be positions that we find ourselves in that don't feel like they're good at all. This is why we don't always trust our feelings. There are times when, when he's doing something good for us and we go, this doesn't feel like it's good, but it's training us for something even greater. It's training us for life and godliness. <laughs> it is training us for something real. All right, last one. This is Paul writing uh, to the Corinthians. And if you know anything about the Corinthians, they were doing some weird stuff. Paul is a little frustrated with the Corinthians, and he writes them. And Paul is writing to them as fathers, as though they are their, as though uh, the Corinthians are his kids. He's frustrated with them, but he's treating them like kids. First uh, Corinthians four fourteen. It says, "I am writing this not to shame you." but to warn you as my dear children. You see how the, the terminology he's using. Even if you had 10,000 guardians or teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. You see this? For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. <laughs> That's a bold statement. Paul's saying, listen, I'm talking to you as my children. You have many teachers, but I'm talking to you as my children. I'm your father. He knows them and they know Paul, right? He's saying, listen, get like me. <laughs> Be like me. Imitate me. Verse 17, for this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. This is such a bold statement, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, <laughs> if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Listen, he's not playing. <laughs> he's, he's, he's speaking sternly to them, okay? Now, if you know the history and what's going on with the Corinthians, he's, there's a reason why he's talking to them this way. Verse 21, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come to you in love and with a gentle spirit? Listen, you have to have both of those. And he knows that they know him, and he knows that, his, and he knows that they know <laughs> that his heart is to come to them gently. But he knows that if they're arrogant and they're continuing to do the things that they're doing, they're hurting themselves, and he doesn't want them to hurt themselves. His heart is for them. And he's talking, talking to them as a father talks to sons and daughters. Do you see the, the parallel here? When God speaks to us, depending on the situation that we're going through, he may speak sternly to us. And there's nothing wrong with that. He has every right to. 
And if we're doing something that's really stupid and is going to harm us, he's going to speak to us sternly. I've had him do that to me many times. And I'm like, you're right. I was, I was doing something stupid. I was going down a path that was going to lead me to something bad. And it could be as simple as, as disconnecting for, for me. Uh, and it wasn't anything terrible, but disconnecting a little bit from social media because I was neglecting my family. And nothing wrong with social media. I, it's, it's a pulpit like anything else, and you can use it for whatever you want. Um, but for me, I had to disconnect a little bit from that and begin to focus a little bit more on my family. And it took a little bit of stern talking to from the Lord for me to realize that I'm, I'm not doing what I should be doing as a father. So he is treating them in a way that is like a fatherly. He says, look, you have many teachers, but I'm talking to you differently. It's not just teaching. It's how a father teaches a son. Um, now here's for the, for the recipients of this, and this can kind of sting sometimes. It says, this is speaking to the sons and daughters. Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as, as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work may be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So there's, there's times for, for the fathers and the leaders it says right there that we're going to be held accountable for the leaders. We're going to be held accountable for what we do and what we teach and what we show you guys. But there's also an accountability on, on you guys' part to, to try to be teachable and, <laughs> and make it not so difficult sometimes. And most of us in this room should have someone that we are being mentored by and, and someone that we're mentoring. So positionally, we can, we can operate as fathers and as sons, right? But listen... From the very beginning of this, we've, we've got to see that love leads in all these areas. Paul wasn't speaking to strangers. He was speaking to people that he knew. He was speaking to, to an area in their lives that were going to be destructive for them and for the church as a whole. When discipline comes, it's not always just a spanking. It's not always a beating over the head with a rod. Discipline looks lots of different ways to lots of different people. And only a loving father can really discipline his kids. That's why he says, if you're being disciplined, rejoice in it. Because that means you're his child. He's not going to discipline people that aren't his kids. But as our, child, as our children, as we are children to him, we should recognize discipline as what it is. It is for our benefit. It is a good thing. And it's something I, I really hope the, the kids got something out of when we talked about it the other night, that as, as earthly fathers, we do the best we can, and we don't, we don't, we're not perfect. We mess up sometimes. But there are ways that we... Everything, and unless it's just a really abusive or bad situation, most fathers that I know, especially in our church that I know, are, are looking for the absolute best for their kids, and any discipline they give them is for that reason. And so I encourage the kids to really pay attention to why their, their parents are telling them what they're telling them. It's usually for their own good. Listen, I don't tell my kids not to play in traffic because I don't want them to have fun. I tell them to you know, ride the dirt bikes in our yard, not out on Interstate 10, Right? It's because I want them to enjoy their lives. I want them to have fun, but I don't want them to die <laughs> or get hurt. This is very simple stuff, but we, we make it a lot worse than it needs to be. God's not trying, he's not some cosmic killjoy saying don't have fun. He wants you to have joy. He's made of the stuff. <laughs> he is joy. So find, find in any discipline that you receive from the Lord the good in it, because it's all good. Everything he does for us leads us to something. I don't know if anybody needed to hear that, but I needed to hear it. Because there's, there's, there's places in my life where I've had, to, I've had to be disciplined in changing the way that I need to do things. All right, stand up with me. I'm going to pray for you guys. 
No, yeah, stand up with me, but what I want is, I want all the fathers to come up here. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I just want to pray over you guys. Um, Y'all can just stand up here, face out there. And fathers-to-be, you're good enough. You'll do. Y'all can face that way. And everybody else that's not up here, just if you want to stretch out your hands or you want to come up here and lay hands on them, it's fine with me. I don't really care. Um, but I just, I just want to pray for you guys specifically. <clears throat> Father, I just thank you for, for these fathers that are represented here today. Lord, we know that, that there, is a, um, there is an issue within our culture of, of fatherlessness. Lord, we, we see it all around us and we see the kids and the results. Father, even statistically, when I, when, when I talk to Dana in the children's home, he he tells me about how most of the kids that end up there without fathers are in abusive situations because of fathers being absent. So, Lord, I just pray that, um, Lord, that these fathers here today, Lord, as they, as they walk, out, walk out of this building and begin to live their lives and father those that are around them, their own kids personally and then others that are around them, Lord, that they would be such a, a great influence to all the kids that come in contact with them. Lord, they are needed. Father, they are needed for the people that are around us, Lord. They need good father figures, and I thank you for them, and I honor them, and I cherish them in our church and in their families and everyone uh, that they interact with. So, Lord, I just pray your, your continued guidance and for you to keep their eyes open for opportunities to be fathers to those that are around them that don't have those examples. Lord, you don't know. Sometimes we don't even realize what we're doing, but I just thank you for, for keeping us aware of it. So I pray for that in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Y'all are awesome.